Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Argentina, Pakistan, Ireland, Italy, Israel, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead right ringer in history from South Africa. Starting out in Brazil, former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, is clearly under direct investigation by the federal police of Brazil for his participation in the planning and engagement of his attempted coup last year on January the 8th. Bolsonaro is now known by the federal police of Brazil to have looked at and even made edits on a plan for this coup, which included, among other things, the arrest of the Brazilian justice who is in charge with investigating him currently, Alexandre de Moraes. Bolsonaro and several of his allies have had their passports seized. This was both at his vacation home and at the headquarters of his liberal party. This was part of a wide set of searches and arrests that affected a bunch of his allies, including former generals in the Brazilian military. The federal police now claim that this organization, this group of people that they are investigating, including again the former president and several former generals, are a clandestine criminal organization that planned a coup, that was intent on attempting this coup, that spread misinformation in order to make a military intervention in Brazilian politics seem more legitimate, and that they prepared for military and special operatives violence in the country. Additional evidence is a video which was seized from Bolsonaro's former aide, Mauro Cid, who was an important sort of liaison between the military and the former president. This video seized from Cid says that Bolsonaro will take the field with the army. This is literally a smoking gun in which the former president, who was president at the time when he said this statement, is saying that if the military intervened in order to prevent the inauguration of his opponent, Lula, he would join them in their coup. Moving on to Argentina, the Argentine Senate is debating the omnibus bill that would grant permanency to the executive order established by Javier Millet, the president of Argentina. This is less certain than its passage in the lower house. Reminder, this law essentially eliminates most government spending and government provisions for Argentine people. It seeks to privatize much of the Argentine economy, and it also prevents workers from engaging in strikes. In further right-wing moves, Javier Millet has started to move the Argentine embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. This is mirroring Donald Trump's move to do the same thing when he was the president, and it's a sort of gesture to the extreme right-wing Christians that are part of Millet's coalition, which is a little tenuous, right? It's a coalition between the extreme right-wing Christians and sort of anarcho-capitalists. Not exactly an obvious match. Moving on to Pakistan, there was a vote today in Pakistan, a general election, uh, however, the thing that I'm noting here in terms of right-wing stuff is that arguably the largest political party in Pakistan has been stripped of its ability to appear on the ballot by the, by the Pakistani Supreme Court. This is a sort of difficult situation, um, and also there has been a lot of violence in this Pakistani election. In Ireland this weekend, there was a major march against immigration, one of the largest that the country has ever seen. And in Italy, the Italian government has moved to seek to decriminalize, quote-unquote, the abuse of office, 
which is an anti-corruption slash anti-mafia provision in Italy. This would allow potentially mafia-connected business people and mafia-connected politicians to more openly seek to profit from their office, which, of course, is a terrible thing to anybody who wants actually normal government provisions and government functioning in their country. This being connected to the extreme right-wing parties of Italy should come as no surprise. The mafia has had a tenuous relationship with the Italian right-wing, but is currently sort of in their back pocket. Moving on to Israel, the Israeli government has moved to suspend legislators who are sympathetic to the International Court of Justice's allegations made by the state of South Africa that Israel is committing a genocide in Gaza in its ongoing war there. The Israeli government's move to do this is part of a longer series of moves by the Israeli government, by the current government of Israel, to stifle dissent in their country and to eliminate provisions for free speech. Moving on to the United States, there has been evidence that young non-white voters in the United States are shifting to the right. Now, a majority of them remain on the left. However, this is evidence in opposition to the idea that, you know, these young voters are going to necessarily and naturally move to the left. These predictions were things that people imagined after the election of, for example, Barack Obama, in which young and especially young non-white voters came out heavily for the left, that is, you know, the Democratic Party in the United States. However, these young non-white voters today are significantly less left-wing than they used to be, by some 10%. Specifically, we're mostly talking about black voters and Latino voters. This evidence is also further shown by white young voters in the United States, significantly less left-wing than they used to be, particularly among men. This demographic shift is mirrored in a bunch of other countries as well, and it is evidence that the right wing is growing in its popularity and power internationally. In other right wing news in the United States, Elon Musk, the you know mogul, tech mogul slash guy who stole a bunch of other people's ideas and just sort of bought them and said that he founded them or whatever, he's been engaging increasingly with right wing accounts on his Twitter slash X platform. Specifically, most recently, he engaged on the platform with a platform called VDARE. VDARE is an extreme right-wing white nationalist news organization slash political propaganda outfit. They're named after Virginia Dare, the first white English girl born in the mainland U.S. Now, that's just like, that's just some fascist shit to name your organization that. VDARE, like I said, is a white supremacist quote-unquote news organization, and the fact that Elon Musk is increasingly engaging not just with them, but with other fascist accounts is extremely disturbing. In other disturbing news in the United States, the Supreme Court of the United States is currently, as I'm recording this, you know, in the morning Pacific time on Thursday the 8th, the United States Supreme Court is currently listening to a debate over whether or not Donald Trump can appear on the ballot in the United States. The question is whether or not Donald Trump's participation in his attempted coup on January 6th, 2021, constitutes a a violation of the 14th Amendment's provisions, which state that if an officer of the United States participates in a violent or otherwise insurrection against the government, that they can no longer participate in elections in the United States. 
This was a an amendment that was passed after the United States Civil War, essentially to say like, hey, if you just like were in the Confederate government, you can't be in the government of the United States anymore. And if this if the Supreme Court decides that Donald Trump can't appear on the ballot, then that's kind of the whole ballgame. That's it. It's extremely unlikely that they're going to do that, especially considering how many of those justices Trump himself appointed. But if they decide like, hey, yeah, you can stage a coup and then run for president, uh, that's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so unspeakably awful, but it's probably what's going to happen. And in further quasi-civil war news, many United States states are pursuing so-called sovereignty bills. One example is SB 57 in Utah. This bill would supposedly allow Utah to decide that they're just, they're just not going to follow some federal laws or policies. Like specifically, they're saying like, well, you know, what if we just don't want to do what the EPA tells us to do? What if we just, what if we just don't? Now, for those of you unfamiliar with how the United States federal government works, states have a lot of power in the United States, but the specific powers that they don't have are the ones that the federal government does have. And states are not allowed to just say like, yeah, we're just, we're just not going to follow this federal legislation. States can ignore federal rules if they don't receive federal money for certain provisions. But that's not what Utah's talking about. Utah's saying like, what if we just, what if we just didn't do the stuff that the federal government wanted us to do? Whether or not they're going to be allowed to do that is maybe up to Supreme Court decisions, but that's just, you know, that's terrifying again because of the, how the Supreme Court is currently working right now. Again, this is the kind of shit that the Civil War was fought about. In further court news in the United States, this is good news, a federal peers court has said that Donald Trump is not permanently immune from prosecution due to having been the president. Donald Trump had argued this, saying that, hey, I need to be immune from any prosecution for anything that I did while I was the president, because unless I have that permanent immunity, then any president could be prosecuted for their behavior in office immediately after leaving it. The appeals court said that that's not true. If you leave office, you are a citizen just like anybody else, and you can be prosecuted for your actions. Donald Trump's statement, you know, his defense, however, is it's not really exactly a defense, right? It's a threat. He's saying, hey, if I beat Joe Biden in the upcoming presidential election, then the Republicans are going to prosecute him for supposed crimes. And that's probably true, right? That probably is what's going to happen. So this is a really disturbing precedent, as well as good news saying that Donald Trump can be prosecuted for his behavior. In further news in the United States, Nikki Haley, the only remaining challenger to Donald Trump in the Republican primary, is really trailing far behind him in the South Carolina race. This is basically the nail in the coffin. If she can't win the state where she was the former governor, that's it. She can't beat Trump anywhere. And especially considering that she hasn't beaten Trump anywhere already, that's just probably the case. She has also been the uh, target of several security hoaxes and has officially requested Secret Service protection. And finally, in news in the United States, the right-wing Project Veritas, which was an organization which, despite its name, argued that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump, has finally formally admitted that there was no wrongdoing, that they've never found any evidence of the case, and especially that they were specifically lying about this in Pennsylvania, one of the key states that Donald Trump really needed to win if he was going to win the 2020 election. 
Finally, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Daniel François Mellon, an apartheid prime minister of South Africa. Now, he's a South African and a Boer, but his last name comes from French Protestants, where he descended from, so, you know, I'm just going to call him Mellon. Mellon was born in 1874 in the Cape Colony to a family, like I said, descended from French Protestants. His father was a clergyman in the Dutch church. Mellon attended college in South Africa and then went to Netherlands for divinity school in Utrecht. He came back and followed in his father's footsteps as a clergyman, specifically focusing on ministering to white South African men in northern territories of the colony, for example, Rhodesia. He entered politics by becoming the editor of the National Newspaper. This was the early days of the National Party in South Africa. This was the party that is the most famous and most virulent proponent of the apartheid regime in South Africa. He first entered the South African Parliament in 1918 and was the Minister of the Interior for that government until 1933, when he split from the National Party and formed his own party because of an opposition against the National Party's merger with another party. But then the National Party merged party split from its merged party because that party supported South Africa's entry into World War II, and the split from the merged National Party joined his split party to become the reunited National Party. This kind of shit is the origin of that Monty Python joke from the life of Brian, right? You know, all the parties splitting and merging and blah, blah, blah. This reunited National Party won the South African elections in 1948, and this government, under Malon as the prime minister, laid the foundations for apartheid and applied the title for the system for the first time. Apartheid, the word, means separate. And it was a form of segregation and vastly unequal application of government services and government oppression to white and non-white South Africaners. Malone was prime minister of South Africa until he retired in 1954. He was replaced by an even more racist white nationalist. Malone died in his home, peacefully, unfortunately, on the 7th of February, 1959. So, Daniel Francois Malone, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Rather than my Patreon, check out Medicine Sans Frontières, that's Doctors Without Borders, the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, or the Gaza Children's Fund. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out in all one word. I'm on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H-I-S-T of the Right, and I'm on Blue Sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C, 15 Minzo Fash. All right, thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week.